Hey, are you sick of being cooped up inside for the past year? How about getting out and also doing something to support Israel and the Jewish people? Join us for our first ever Bless Israel Virtual 5K. We've put together a three-mile path that actually walks you through a route in the old city of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. You can walk or run the week of April 12th at your own pace and in your own timing. Just sign up by March 21st and join an international community of believers who are all committed like you to Israel. For more details, go to a Jew and a Gentile Discuss.org. The idea of lost tribes relates to the exile or the scattering of Jewish people into the nations of the earth. Spiritually, we understand God said this is going to happen and I'm going to take you out from under the protection that I've afforded you in the promised land for a time because of your disobedience. All we have is promises from God that though I scattered you, I will regather you because only if the sun can break its covenant with the morning and the moon and the stars break their covenant with the night will I break my covenant with you, Israel. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Today we're going to talk about a phrase that you may have heard multiple times on this podcast but may not know what it is, which is the Lost Tribes. So let's discuss. So Ezra, let's start with who are the lost tribes? You know, we talk about this all the time. We talk about our coffee. It's just kind of a phrase that we throw around. But who really are the lost tribes? Yeah, Carly, when we say lost tribes, first of all, we're talking about the idea of the lost tribes of Israel or the lost tribes of the house of Israel. And some of our listeners are going, wait a minute, that, first of all, even from a Jewish perspective, sounds like a really obscure idea that I'm not really sold on let alone from a Christian perspective, why does that matter? Is it legit or is it something somebody made up to create a lot of Google content and podcasts? And even if it's legit, why should I care? So we're going to try to dig into all of that. But lost tribes, I'm going to give you a very Jewish answer. Um, there isn't one answer. Why do we say that? Lost tribes of Israel, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of dig in a little bit to why or I should say what literally that means, but then the way that it's more commonly used in how it's actually used around the world. So literally, the lost tribes of Israel refers to the 10 tribes or kind of nine and a half tribes, if you will, other than Judah, Levi, and Benjamin, who were scattered under the Assyrian exile, more on that in a moment, and who are sort of emerging back on the world scene today as the world gets smaller and we begin to just have a lot more um, demographic and anthropological information about who's out there and where do they come from. But uh, why do we say it includes kind of nine, nine and a half, ten tribes of Israel? The reason is because the tribes of Judah and Levi or Levi, as we say in English, uh, the priestly tribe, and then also to some degree Benjamin were part of historically the southern kingdom right? You read in the time of uh, kind of a little bit of a history and a Bible lesson here, like in the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, when Israel is being really held accountable by God and in some ways punished for our disobedience as a people and our unrepentant heart, despite his many warnings through the prophets, there, there were two kingdoms, right? After Solomon, the kingdom sort of split up after David and Solomon. And you had the northern kingdom, 
which was nine or 10 tribes, depending on whether you count Levi, who was sort of scattered through all the land of Israel. And then you had the southern kingdom of Judah, Benjamin, and then also a portion of Levi. Uh, and so the northern and southern kingdoms. And under Isaiah, uh, these northern kingdoms of Israel, including these nine, nine and a half, 10 tribes are exiled. And yet the southern kingdom until the siege of Jerusalem some decades later that we read about in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel are preserved. And so technically, officially, the lost tribes of Israel actually refers to the northern kingdom tribes. So excluding Judah and Benjamin. Unofficially, and maybe more commonly, more colloquially, Carly, uh, when we say the lost tribes of Israel, we're referring to any Jewish groups that have sort of fallen off the scene in terms of world consciousness and are now reemerging. So as an example, the Ethiopian Jews very much qualify as kind of one of the lost tribes. And until 50, 60 years ago, very few people in the world knew they exist. Fast forward now, there's over 150,000 Ethiopian Jews living in Israel as Israeli citizens, many of whom are second generation. And in a few years, we'll have third generation of the grandparents who uh, made Aliyah, who immigrated to Israel from Ethiopia. But kind of back on the highway of our conversation here, the Ethiopian Jews, if you say, which tribal connection do you have, would say, well, we believe we're from Dan, the tribe of Dan, but also from the tribe of Judah. And if we think of the story of um, King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, which is sort of the beginning of the oral history of the Ethiopian Jews, well, we know Solomon and David, of course, were from Judah, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah is a phrase used to uh, refer to the Messiah, who we believe, you and I believe, is Jesus, is Yeshua in Hebrew. And we understand that he came from the line of David. So David and Solomon were part of the tribal line of Judah, which becomes uh, part of the ancestry of the Ethiopian Jews. Well, wait a minute, Ezra, you said the lost tribes of Israel don't include Judah because Judah was part of the Southern Kingdom. Well, yes and no, because again, lost tribes in the way that we're gonna use the term and the way that the worldwide Jewish community and historians use the term really refers more generally to any Jewish people group, even if they're part of Judah or Benjamin or Levi or multiple tribal origins, who was assumed to be lost, to have disappeared and not exist anymore, and now we learn uh, actually does still exist. And how do they exist? Where are they? Why do they exist? Why does that matter? We're going to unpack that. But I also just, uh, you know, since I'm already being long-winded, Carly, I'll just go, I'll, I'll uh, put a little more wind out there. Lost. The idea of lost tribes, you know, if you talk to some of these groups, and in our experience serving a Jewish voice and having the honor of really meeting the elders of some of these Jewish communities around the world, they would never call themselves lost. It's a bit of a misnomer because their identity was never lost to themselves. In some cases, they've been persecuted and their family members have been killed. And even today, family members are getting killed for that Jewish identity, but they still pass it on generation to generation, as we say in Hebrew, lador vador, from generation to generation because the identity matters and it means everything to these communities. So lost to world consciousness, but never lost to themselves. That's what we mean when we say the lost tribes. So Ezra, when you talk about these tribes, like in Ethiopia, and you say that they go all the way back to these biblical tribes, how do we really know that they trace back to those tribes. Like I could say, hey, I'm from the tribe of such and such. We've had people from, you know, for example, some West African countries kind of way over on the Atlantic coast who kind of come out of the woodwork and say, 
we're Jewish. Uh, we're one of the lost tribes. And you start to unpack that and you go, uh, maybe that's true. I'm not going to say you're not, but I'm not going to say you are. And we end up in that awkward situation sometimes as a ministry, but uh, our audience is listening, right? Like, is this legit? I mean, like you said, Carly, why can't anybody from, you know, Nicaragua or from uh, Japan say, I'm one of the lost tribes of Israel? Like, how does that claim even hold water? And how do we know if it's true? This is a science. And in a way, it's also an art. It's a little bit anthropological, but um, some things that we rely on um, and that kind of the greater Jewish community relies on in exploring this. Uh, for example, one is uh, oral history. So for example, the Ethiopian Jews, right? We know that according to the biblical record, King Solomon had a visit, you know, wink, wink, that our audience can't see us winking because we're on a podcast, but had a visit with the Queen of Sheba. And their story goes that out of that visit, not unlikely given Solomon's track record with the ladies, came a son named Menelik, who became the father of the Ethiopian Jewish people. And then they can trace that ancestry throughout the couple millennia and counting of history on how that developed into a line of Ethiopian Jewish people who preserved that identity as being fathered by King Solomon. Uh, and other relatives and, you know, people in his entourage who went back and forth between Ethiopia, the ancient kingdom of Kush under Sheba and, and the kingdom of Israel at that time. So that's one example. Oral history is super important. The other is to look at traditions, right? Jewish traditions are very unique. For example, a little bit, you know, graphic, but the circumcision of males. And maybe in North America, that's much more common, but in other parts of the world, it's very uncommon. And so if you meet a tribe of people who is ritualistically, systematically circumcising every male born in the community. And you look around them and say, you know, that is not happening ethnically, culturally, tribally with anybody else who lives around these people. That's another sign. And then uh, keeping a Shabbat or a Sabbath day as holy unto the Lord. Uh, I'm thinking of a group that we've worked with now for over eight years called the Lemba in Zimbabwe. And they claim not only to be one of the lost tribes to be descended from Israel, but actually to be from the priestly family of the Kohens, the Kohenim, or the children of Aaron, the high priests in the tribe of Levi. And there was a lot of skepticism around that claim. But if you look at their habits, for example, they won't eat meat that's biblically unclean. Like the, the groups around them, if there's, you know, a wild hog and it's available to be killed and roasted, great. You know, look, it's a provision. But the Lambo won't eat pork. And more than that, they actually uh, have butchers within their community who don't cut uh, one of the nerves kind of in the in the groin area of the animals like cows or goats that they slaughter. And you go, why? And they trace it back to Jacob having his hip socket touched by God when he wrestles with the angel and he becomes Israel in the wilderness. And so now 2,500 years after they say they left Israel, they're still not touching that nerve when they slaughter their meat and they're draining the blood according to a biblical tradition. Well, why would a group in rural Zimbabwe and Zambia and Mozambique care anything about draining blood from animals, only eating clean animals and not uh, severing uh, a nerve in the hip area? Uh, they trace it back to coming from Israel. So traditions is another thing. Religious practices, as we said, you know, if you find a group in an area where there's a lot of worship of idols, worship of kind of multiple gods, or kind of a worship of nature, like you see sometimes in Africa and Asia, and they're saying we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's like, you know, record scratch. How on earth did they get that? And if you listen to their story and they tell you, 
we know that we come from Israel. It's very compelling. One of the questions you want to ask is, okay, is this we come from Israel identity kind of in the last 150 or 200 years since Christian missionaries came there? If so, you got to look at that more closely. But often uh, in stories like the Ethiopian Jewish community and then with the Lemba in Zimbabwe and the Bene Manasha, I'll throw another name, the children of Manasseh who live in Northeast India and Myanmar, more on them shortly, you, you learn that their oral history, their tradition, their religious practices way predate any missionary activity. So before there was a Christian witness and really an Old and New Testament in the in the language of that tribe, they're preserving a belief system and tradition and culture which is unique to the people of Israel. And then finally, because I'm sure people have heard about this, you know, DNA, right? Find out if you're Jewish. Swab your nostril and we're going to tell you if your family lived in Warsaw in 1939. Nothing wrong with that. That's a great tool. It's one tool in the toolbox, I think we can say. It is important. And actually, in the case of the Ethiopian Jews and in the case more recently, Carly, we were able to test some Lemba males because this kind of historic Jewish haplotype, to use some technical terminology in the DNA world, this specific part of a DNA that's been linked to uh, historic Jewish communities, which are still known today, that carries through only through the male line. So you have to look at male DNA versus female DNA when you're going to look at historic Jewish claims. But the Lemba overwhelmingly had that link in their DNA to historic Jewish communities still known today. For example, people in New York City who are part of the rabbinic Jewish community whose last name is Cohen or Levy, we can say with some certainty, right, 99.9% something that these people have preserved a Jewish lineage. And there's this unique haplotype in hundreds of thousands of these Jewish people who have submitted their DNA to a bank. And what we found is that that same unique haplotype is in groups like the Lemba and like the Ethiopian Jewish community that's not in any of the tribes who live around them. Because another tradition is uh, if you're Jewish, you stay Jewish, we say. And so the groups marry within their tribes. And in some cases, it's actually kind of anathema. It's like unheard of that, for example, a Lemba would not marry a Lemba because there's, a, there's this understanding that you have this unique identity. We come from Israel. Others around aren't going to understand that. They're going to pollute that. So better to marry within the community. So those, to be more long-winded than I already was, are some of the things you look for. But I hope for our audience that starts to put some meat on the bone and the idea that this isn't just wishful thinking. And I think, you know, I'll throw in kind of my own get on my soapbox for a minute in in looking for and in studying the claims of groups who uh, espouse to be the lost tribes, Carly, the no is as important as the yes, because not everybody's Jewish. We understand that. God said he'd make our descendants like the sand in the sea and the stars in the sky, numerous, but there's also the nations that he cares very deeply about as well who aren't Jewish. And that doesn't mean one group has something and another doesn't. It just means there's a distinction in the plans and purposes of God. So uh, some groups' claims are legit. And we look at all those reasons I just mentioned, as well as others. And other groups' claims, we can't say that they're legit. And that doesn't mean God doesn't love them and have a plan for them. It just means people like, like us and ministries like Jewish Voice aren't ready to substantiate that claim. So there's definitely some rigorous guidelines that you go through to make sure that uh, someone that's claiming they're a lost tribe really are part of the lost tribes of Israel. And you mentioned um, some of the countries like Ethiopia and Zimbabwe. So where are the lost tribes now? All over the place. <laughs> I'm smiling as I say that. But literally, if you look at a map and, you know, depending on which source you Google, you're going to find different answers on this. But 
Um, there are groups that either have been confirmed to be or that are emerging on the scene claiming to be historically Israelite, historically Jewish, part of the Lost Tribes in places like the mountains of Peru near Machu Picchu, believe it or not. There's an indigenous group there that claims Lost Tribe ancestry. Let's go across the ocean, of course, all over Europe. There's scattered Jewish groups into Africa, Ethiopia, Somaliland, believe it or not, on the southern shores of the Red Sea, into Eritrea, people that are sort of connected uh, directly or loosely to the Ethiopian Jewish community. One group called the Yibir, which is Somali for Hebrew, who are blacksmiths, believe it or not, in Somaliland, which is, as I said, by the Red Sea, not even a country recognized by the UN, heavily Muslim area, but yet there's this group there that says, we know we come from Israel. You know, we can go south now, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Mozambique, South Africa, and beyond the Lemba are there, some other groups in Southern and Western Africa. There's a group in Nigeria who claims descendancy from Israel, specifically the tribe of Gad. The jury's still out on that one. And I said that in my best Rochester, New York accent, Carly, Gad. You know, in Hebrew, it's God, but people think you're saying God like the Lord. So I'll use Rochester here. The tribe of Gad, the Ibu tribe in Nigeria claims lost tribe descendancy. Not sure about that one, needs more research. Then we can go kind of over into Asia. You have groups in Pakistan and Afghanistan in the Khyber Pass uh, who claim Israelite descendancy, ancestry. Uh, in Northeast India, as I said, the group that identifies as descendants of Manasseh, and they call themselves B'nai Manmasi in the local language. And it's funny because you're starting to see, you know, like that group lives on the border of India and Myanmar. Well, why do they live between two countries? Doesn't that make it difficult? Well, these groups have been around there for hundreds, if not a thousand years, and they far predate political boundaries of current nations. So it's interesting that the groups straddle current political national boundaries. Then you have a group in Kaifeng, China, who identifies as historically Jewish. And if we really want to stretch it, you have groups as far as Papua New Guinea and then the Solomon Islands, kind of tongue in cheek, Solomon. But the Solomon Islands, there's a group there that reconstructed a temple as they believe it was in Jerusalem because they believe that they come from Israel. And right on the one hand, our audience, like I can see the furrowed eyebrows uh, as people listen to this and wonder if they should pull their earbuds out at this point, because this is nuts. But on the other hand, we see in the scriptures time and time again, right, that God said to Israel, I'm going to scatter you to the nations of the earth or to the ends of the earth. And some some scriptures say in Isaiah 11, 11, I'm thinking of to the islands of the sea, like I'm going to scatter you as far as you can be scattered because you were disobedient to me. But the promise, we'll talk more about this in a moment, is, but I will bring you back because my calling on Israel is irrevocable. And so I want to just ask our audience as we continue here and get more into the technicalities in this meaty show, consider the possibility that God literally said what he meant to say and that he means what he said and that it still matters today. And we'll talk about why that matters for a Christian audience in a minute. So you mentioned that one of the places that the Lost Tribes is, is Ethiopia. And that's actually where uh, the Lost Tribes coffee that we offer is from, Ethiopia. So I just want to remind our audience that we're doing this monthly coffee giveaway right now. So you can enter to win a bag of our Lost Tribes coffee. Uh, you can do that easily by just texting JG, J for Jew, G for Gentile, to 474747. And we draw a winner every single month, so you can enter each month. 
And if you win, we'll let you know and we'll send you a bag of our Lost Tribes coffee for free. And hopefully through this podcast, you learn more about who the Lost Tribes are um, and read about, it says right on the bag, a lot of information about it. Um, So there's more information about that on the website too, if you're interested. So let's get back to kind of the story of the Lost Tribes. So we talked about where they are. So my next question is, when did they actually get there? Yeah, you know, the, the, the idea of Lost Tribes, as we said, relates to the exile or the scattering of Jewish people into the nations of the earth. And when did that start? Well, again, we go back two and a half millennia, almost three millennia now, uh, to around 740 BC, BCE, to be very politically correct. And uh, we see in the biblical narrative and the historical accounts that the kings and the leaders in the Assyrian Empire actually came in and had a military conquest over Israel. Spiritually, we understand God said, this is going to happen, and I'm going to take you out from under the protection that I've afforded you in the promised land for a time because of your disobedience. And first, the easy one, right? In Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, we see Jerusalem is under siege. The first temple is destroyed. Judah and Benjamin and Levi go to Babylon. But we know, right? We read in Daniel, we read in Ezekiel, after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. And we know under Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the Judahites and the Benjamites and the Levites who were exiled to Babylon, modern day Iraq, end up coming back according to the promise of God. But now to that northern kingdom who's scattered into the, into the Assyrian Empire, not into the Babylonian Empire, there is no specific time promise on when I'll bring you back. All we have is specific in terms of places, but generic in terms of time, promises from God that though I scattered you, I will regather you. Because only if the sun can break its covenant with the morning and the moon and the stars break their covenant with the night will I break my covenant with you, Israel. We see that very clearly in the scriptures. And so the northern 10 tribes around 740 BCE are scattered into the Assyrian Empire, which maybe if you you know really did great in AP history, which I did not, but I remember this because it's relevant to our discussion today, was also what's known as the Silk Road or the Silk Route right? So the Assyrian empire winds through the Middle East, Iran, into Central Asia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Tajikistan, all the stands into India, up into Mongolia, into China, and ends somewhere in China, or I should say begins somewhere in China because it's the Silk Road. So the path of ancient empires loosely followed this path, this trade route called the Silk Road. And so Jewish communities beginning in 740 end up scattered at these key kind of I don't know what to call them, hubs on the Silk Road. And so if you look at the map of where these people are, at least those in Asia uh, and the Middle East, the current emerging lost tribes of Israel loosely follow the Silk Road. Uh, And that's still true to this day. In a way, it's even more of a confirmation of their claim because that would have been their exile path during the Assyrian Empire. They're not going to walk 40 days through the desert. That happened under Moses. It didn't happen under the exile. Everybody would have died. So they followed river routes like the Tigris and Euphrates, the Fertile Crescent, and the Silk Road, and that's where they ended up. And then back to those who went to Babylon and came back, you know, the story of the Lemba is interesting because they weren't part of the Northern Kingdoms, Carly. They actually came back to Jerusalem after 70 years. But if you remember, under Ezra and Nehemiah, there's this deep conviction, 
man, our priests and our, our men have married foreign wives, right? They've taken on pagan wives who don't worship the God of Israel and their lives and their spirituality is compromised because of these covenants. So Ezra and Nehemiah say, divorce your pagan wives, come back to Israel and you can stay here. And the story of the Lamba begins in the 500s BC after the 400s and 500s, after the regather and the return from Babylon, the story of the Lamba is these particular priests said, no, we like our foreign wives. We're not divorcing. And so Ezra and Nehemiah actually kick them out. They leave Jerusalem with their foreign wives and they start a journey through, through Yemen, through a city and a region which was actually called Lamba in Yemen, and then somehow make their way across kind of the, the, the coast there into the Red Sea, really, into the eastern seaboard of Africa. And you go, well, how did they do that? Why on earth would they go to Africa? Well, we talked about Silk Road. What else do we know from history if we weren't sleeping? Spice Route. The Spice Route wound from the Middle East uh, along the King's Highway in Israel down into Saudi and then across into the eastern seaboard of Africa because so many of the spices that were so in demand at that time and throughout world history came from Africa. And so the Lemba actually make their way down the eastern seaboard of Africa to what's currently known as Southern Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia area. And so again, the people who returned from Babylon, Judah, Benjamin, really technically lost tribes? No, because Judah and Benjamin and Levi were never really lost. But they were lost in terms of the commonwealth of Israel, right? A connection to the land and an awareness in the mainstream Jewish community. And so the Lemba are considered a, a lost tribe in that sense. So Silk Road and Spice Route are great places to start in looking for lost tribes. That's not exclusively where they are in the world, but thematically that's uh, something we see over and over again. And if you're interested in seeing a map of what that looks like, actually on the website, A Jew and a Gentile Discuss, um, we have, I don't know if you remember this, Ezra, you hand drew me a map like five years ago of the roots and we turned it into a graphic and it's on the website. So if you're interested in seeing where they started and where they ended up, you can look at it there. So my next question is, what is the Lost Tribes connection to the mainstream worldwide Jewish community today? Yeah. So again, a very Jewish answer, multi-part. First of all, I think there's still less so than there was probably 30 or 40 years ago, but there's still a widespread unawareness. Why is that? Because Jewish identity today is largely defined, not exclusively. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, this is a major issue because the rabbinic Judaism generally rejects the idea of the messiahship of Jesus, rejects the idea that he could have actually been the one the prophets foresaw, even though his life, ministry, death, and resurrection exactly fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah. But more on that in another in another podcast. So mainstream rabbinic Judaism rejects the idea of Jesus as the Messiah and really, in a way, defines how the mainstream worldwide Jewish community is, is identified and stays together. So what do I mean by that? Like if you go on um, jewishvirtuallibrary.com or .org and you kind of look up Jewish populations, you're going to see numbers there. But the way that those numbers are counted is anybody who has been born or bar mitzvahed into or married at a Jewish synagogue that's part of the rabbinic Jewish system. So, you know, you might say, okay, how many Jews are there in... Chile, okay? And you're going to see a number on the website that says something like 20,000. 
you go, wait a minute, I know for a fact because of Chilean Jewish family members or friends or whatever, that there's like 100,000 Chilean Jews. How did they get 20? The people who are officially part of the synagogue uh, or the congregational system under the accepted rabbinic Jewish system in that country or in that region of the world. So why do I go into all that detail? Because a group such as the Ethiopian Jews, right, who have been disconnected from the rest of Jewish history for 1,500 to 2,000 years while maintaining their Jewish identity and being persecuted and in some cases killed for that identity in order to pass it on to their kids, don't subscribe to the rabbinic practices of the larger worldwide mainstream Jewish community in North America, in Europe, uh, in Australia, and of course in the in the modern state of Israel. For example, if you talk to the Lemba who live, you know, many of these leaders live in rural Zimbabwe, right? They're out literally in huts doing subsistence farming. Now they're very clear about their history as part of the Jewish people. But if you ask them, well, what do you think of the Holocaust? They're not going to know what you're talking about unless they've been college educated because their history is entirely separated from European Jewish history. And so there's a very interesting break there that in a way, these scattered Jewish groups and mainline Jewish communities around the world are unaware of each other's existence. And it's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, mind explosion emoticon, if you start thinking about that, right? That there's giant, like hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in the world that another Jewish person may not know even exist. And when you start, you know, whether you believe in Jesus or not, when you start sort of hearing about these groups, I think it would certainly beg the question, wow, maybe God is real because look at what he's done to preserve our people. And there's chunks of my people that I didn't even know were on the face of the earth. And yet here we are, you know, we say in Hebrew, Am Israel Chai, the people of Israel live. And so I think the more lost tribes communities that emerge around the world, the more that is sort of double and triple underscored, Carly, this idea of Am Israel Chai. Wow, there is a remnant of Israel preserved that's pretty cool. Maybe God is a promise keeper who's faithful in what he said he is doing and what he said he's going to do. So unawareness is an issue. The second is the state of Israel. Like what's the relationship between the state of Israel and these lost tribes communities? Well, if, you know, for example, we know that the Lemba are in Zimbabwe, why don't they just move to Israel, right? All Jews get the right to immigrate to Israel. Yes and no. Again, the rabbinic system comes into play because immigration into Israel right now is controlled by a section of the Israeli government under the authority of orthodox or religiously observant rabbis under the rabbinical Jewish system. And so to be considered Jewish, you need to have the paperwork and the family history and the participation in congregation and synagogue life that, that in essence proves beyond any shadow of a doubt your Jewishness. And if I'm somebody in, living in a hut in Zimbabwe who's told my children we're Jewish and who knows very well we're Jewish, but there is no synagogue, there's no Lemba, you know, uh, Orthodox synagogue in Harare, Zimbabwe to go to and be a member of, at least not yet, then how do I prove my Jewishness? So that's another factor is that these tribes are emerging, but the pathway to being recognized in the larger Jewish community is an uneven one full of roadblocks and uh, major gaps because these communities left Israel before the modern rabbinic Jewish system ever existed. Uh, so that's one thing. The other is, interestingly, you know, ministries like Jewish Voice and here at A Jew and a Gentile Discuss, we're passionate about seeing these lost tribes met and, and reached in the name of Jesus, because we believe ultimately that uh, God's promises for Israel are fulfilled in his sending a Messiah to 
be the, the sacrifice for our sins to restore us to right relationship with God the Father. And so we're all about that. And we see in the scriptures, Carly, that God has made promises regarding the regathering and the restoration of Israel. And more on this in a moment. We also see, if I can be so bold, don't shut off the podcast when you hear this. We're going to unpack it. We're going to explain it. We're going to dig in. Is that, in fact, the return of Jesus to earth has a lot to do with a worldwide kind of whole house of Israel recognition, recognition of his messiahship. Again, don't turn us off. We'll explain that in a minute. But uh, what our audience may not know is that believers, Christians and Jewish believers in Jesus, are not the only groups on the face of the earth who believe that God is in the business of regathering the outcasts of Israel and that that affects the coming of a Messiah. Believe it or not, the most orthodox, or what we say ultra-orthodox Jewish groups in the world, Carly, also believe that. Now, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They believe we're still waiting for a Messiah who's going to come one day and redeem Israel and be this reigning political figure. They just don't believe he's come to earth at all yet, that he's appeared on the scene. But they absolutely believe, according to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that the regathering of the outcasts of Israel precedes the days of Messiah. So who, who on earth, we can say, who on earth is interested in these lost tribes of Israel? People who take the Bible at its word which we can say is Christians and Jewish believers in Jesus, to name a few, and ultra-Orthodox Jews. At least they take the Old Testament, which is known as the Jewish scriptures in the Jewish world, at its word. So the ultra-Orthodox are very interested in, in um, uh, the regathering and the identification, first of all, of lost tribes as well. And it's interesting, you know, we got involved about eight years ago, as I said, in Zimbabwe. Two weeks after we did a clinic there, an ultra-Orthodox group showed up on the scene and said, we know Jewish voice was just here, but let us tell you what your Jewish identity really means. Well, first of all, it means you can't believe in Jesus. And the tribal elders said, well, Jewish voice came and served 7,000 of our people and cared for us and loved us. You came and didn't do anything. So why don't you get off our land and come back when you can show us you care? It was sort of a very interesting interaction. And I'm not saying that to be critical of the ultra-Orthodox. My point there is to say there are Jewish groups very interested in the idea of lost tribes not just believers in Jesus. So they're both out there. And then I think finally, to continue my theme of long-winded answers for you for today, there's some really tough realities related to gathering scattered groups who don't speak the same language as European or Israeli or American Jews, who don't eat the same food, who don't look the same in terms of skin color, uh, whatever, facial features. And so you have this idea of challenges with reintegration. I mean, let alone the fact that modern rabbinic Judaism was sort of penned after most of these groups were separated from the rest of the people of Israel. So they don't have any of that to hold on to. But now they look different. They think different. They have different cultural norms through you know, their existence for millennia in these other areas. And you have skin color as an issue. And I'm just thinking of you know, the state of Israel the Ethiopian Jews went through and continue to some degree to experience tremendous racism. Because until a few years ago, there was still this idea of how can you be black and Jewish? I'm sorry to say, but like right on the podcast, Carly, we discuss things openly. And that's an unfortunate reality is that somehow in the fallenness of human nature, in the Jewish community, in the Christian community, in the Gentile community, whatever, there's this need, right? We have this need in the natural to determine who's better than us and who we're better than. 
And so even in the regathering of kind of the outcasts of Israel, these scattered Jewish groups, there's these strata in Israel. And you say, well, I know, you know, the Polish Jews are better than me as a Moroccan, but I know as a Moroccan that I'm better than the Iraqis. And the Iraqis say, well, at least I'm better than the Ethiopians. And the Ethiopians are saying, well, at least I'm better than the Bnei Menashe. And it's terrible, but it's an unfortunate reality of groups trying to kind of rejoin the known house of Israel is you have racism, you have cultural divides, you have a lot of stigma, you have a lot of prejudice. And it's something, you know, I, I believe as I read the scriptures that God says, when I regather you, then you'll know that I am the Lord. And so for our audience who are believers in Jesus, it's something to pray about, like really pray that, um, you know, the God who promised he'd regather his people would uh, give strategies and leadership and uh, righteous processes for that to happen in a way that people know that God cares for them and knows how they've been created and that it's not a mistake. So all of that information as a listener, if I'm a, a Christian or a believer in Jesus, I feel like I would be asking, why should I care about the lost tribes? Like, what does this really have to do with my walk with the Lord? So how would you answer that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple answers. First, we can just like at a very personal level, like personal slash devotional, Carly, you know, and this is the larger issue of why has God not rejected Israel? How do I know that he hasn't rejected Israel, right? Well, if God rejected Israel because they went one step too far and he washed his hands of them, then, you know, if I'm if I'm a Christian listening, then as a Gentile, how far do I have to go? How many times do I have to mess up before God says, you know what, I'm done with you too? So his faithfulness Generation after generation, as it says, if the sun can break faith with the sky in the morning, which it can't because he's put in a created order, uh, God is keeping his promises to Israel. And that, of course, is to redeem them through the blood of the lamb, who we believe is Yeshua, is Jesus, and physically, literally to regather them from lands where he's scattered them in our disobedience. And that regathering has taken 2,500 years. Why? You know, Isaiah 11, 11 says God will stretch out his hand a second time. And we believe that second time is actually now this regathering of lost tribes, because the first time was the regathering from Babylon. And it says to regather the outcasts of Israel who have been scattered and it lists a bunch of nations. But then Isaiah 11, 12, Carly says, and he'll raise up a banner for the nations when he regathers the exiles of Israel, the outcasts of Israel. So there's this idea that why should I care if I'm not, if I don't have a Jewish background, why does this matter to me? Because God's doing it in our generation to be a demonstration to all the peoples of the earth that he is and that he's able to keep his promises. And I hope personally, like that's uplifting for our listeners today, right? Wow. God kept his promise to a disobedient, stubborn, stiff-necked people. After 2,500 years, he still remembers his promises and he's bringing them to fulfillment today. Wow. I can really trust him for the promises he's made me in my life, even though I've messed up time and again. So on a personal level, that's part of it. I think I'm going to use a fancy kind of, you know, quasi-seminary word here. Eschatologically, it matters also. What do I mean? Eschatologically, we mean talking about the last days, right? We know if we believe the scriptures, and I know many of our listeners from a Jewish and from a non-Jewish background do, uh, that there's this idea that the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come again, right? He's come, he's, he's suffered, he's died, he's resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he says very clearly, I'm coming again. And so, of course, the question is when, which he says no man knows the day or the hour, but how? 
we get some of the hows in scripture. And part of that how is this idea, you know, Jesus says when he's looking at Jerusalem in the week that he's crucified, right? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I, how much I long to gather you like a, like a hen gathers your chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. And he says, I tell you the truth. You won't see me again until you Israel, Jerusalem, he's speaking to the city of Jerusalem, which is personifying the Jewish people at that time, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus made a promise that the writers of the gospels captured in that moment, the disciples. And it's that Jesus isn't coming back until a Jewish people in the land of Israel recognize his messiahship and make this great, what we call a messianic uh, claim or a messianic exclamation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what do the lost tribes being regathered have to do with it? Because when the whole house of Israel recognizes the Messiahship of Jesus, he's coming back. So eschatologically, in terms of the last days, that's why it matters. And then um, thirdly, this idea of, I just want to appeal to everybody's heart for a minute. I know this has been a lot of facts, but right, ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we recognize his kingship and his lordship. And I think part of what he challenges us about, Carly, in our lives is if you if you're asking for my kingdom to come and you're serving me as king, then I want you to prioritize what I prioritize and I want you to care about the things I care about. And the Lord's spoken to each of our hearts, I think, about different specific things that he cares about. He's wired us differently. We have different callings. But if you really look at the scriptures, I hope you'll see and agree, and we talk so much about this on this program, that there's a special place in the plans and heart and purposes of God for Israel, even those who have been scattered. And so if we care about what God cares about, then we're going to care about Israel. And I'm thinking of Revelation 7, verse 4, in case you need a proof text. And I heard some great teaching years ago on Revelation. And they said, unless you have a specific reason to take it uh, as, as kind of an allegory, a teaching, rather than to take it literally, take it literally. Unless there's a specific reason to kind of make it a symbol of something else than take it literally. And Revelation 7 verse 4 is talking about Jesus kind of ruling and reigning and standing on the Mount of Olives after he comes back. And it says, uh, I heard the number of those who were sealed, this kind of multitude of people standing with Jesus, 144,000. And it says, from all the tribes of Israel. And then it lists these tribes, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. It's specific and it's literal. And we go, well, that just means the nations. Well, I would challenge you to think again, because look at verse 9. After this, I saw, I looked and I saw a multitude which was too large to count from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. So for those who want to kind of symbolize this away and say, well, it's symbolic of a lot of believers. No, the lot of believers from the nations are in verse 9. Specifically, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, cared enough about people understanding that he has future plans for the regathered tribes of Israel to show it to John in a vision and to have him pen it in the book of Revelation. So personally, eschatologically, and then also in terms of the kingdom to come, Jewish identity from these tribes still matters when Jesus is back on earth ruling and reigning. Ezra, you've mentioned many times that we both work at Jewish Voice, and you used to lead the outreach department, who works specifically with the Lost Tribe. So can you tell our audience 
how we actually work with the lost tribes today that are scattered around the world? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And in the interest of time, I'll kind of summarize and go on a Jew and a Gentile discuss, check out, check out more information. We have a lot there. And if you have more questions about what we're doing, just uh, text us or write to us and we'd love to get you more information. No question's a bad question. I know it's a lot of info today, but in a nutshell, we're committed to kind of being to being part of that outstretched arm of the Lord that we see in Isaiah 11, 11 to regather these groups. Uh, not w- Jewish voice doesn't have the ability specifically to like physically regather them to Israel. We're not the state of Israel. We're not the rabbinic Jewish leadership who gets to decide who comes and uh, who stays in the land of Israel. But we can very much, and you listening at home can partner with us in being a part of that spiritual regathering, regathering Jewish people to God through a reconciled relationship with him through Jesus. And so uh, real quickly, Jewish groups, Carly, like on a monthly basis are writing to us from around the world saying, we believe we're from Israel. We heard about Jewish voice. Uh, We saw something on TV. We heard you're working with this other group that we're familiar with. And so we explore those claims. We meet the tribal elders. We try to determine, you know, according to the the criteria uh, that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, is this claim legitimate enough that we can kind of lend ourselves to it and form this relationship with the community, sitting with the elders saying, you know, I know you don't care what we know until you know that we care and we do care. So we want to understand what your practical needs are and how we can meet those in the name of the Messiah, in the name of the the, the hope of Israel, in the name of Jesus. Uh, and then getting involved in outreach activities. If they need medical care, uh, we try to provide that. If they have clean water issues, we try to provide that. If they're dealing with hopelessness and confused identity, we try to provide programming, even fine arts performances to sort of cover in a nutshell, why does our Jewish identity matter and what is God doing with the Jewish people? Education is another thing. Discipleship for new believers who are kind of encountering the Lord and his grace through through that, that one-on-one relationship with Jesus. Just to name a few kind of outreach models, there's more in the toolbox, but it's really making a long-term multi-year commitment to invest in these communities, not because they don't know who they are, but to talk about who they are matters and is known to the God who loves them. So if you're interested in some of those things, Ezra just talked about, we actually did an interview with someone on staff at Jewish Voice who specifically leads the Messianic congregations uh, that work with some of the lost tribes. So you can listen to that podcast from a few months ago. Uh, But Ezra, that was like a college prep class on lost tribes today. That was a lot. So hopefully uh, you got a lot of information about the Lost Tribes. Like Ezra said, you can learn more on our website. Uh, we really thank you for listening today. Um, I also just want to remind our audience that this podcast is supported by donations. So if you like what you hear, consider giving a gift to support us, either uh, a one-time gift, small or large, whatever you can do, or a monthly ongoing gift. We have uh, different memberships where you can get Uh, our Lost Tribes coffee as much as you would like. Um, All of those details are on our website, ajewandagentiledisgust.org. Thank you so much for supporting us uh, just by listening as well. If you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love if you leave us a review, share this content with someone you know. You can follow us and engage with us on social media at the handle ajewandagentiledisgust. We're happy to answer any of your questions. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. We'll see you next week for another episode. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.